If you have a Bible with you, if you want to turn to the book of Ephesians, which is uh, sort of halfway through or uh, towards the end of your New Testament or I guess toward the end of your Bible, if you've got the whole book in your hand. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, don't worry. You can, if you just search uh, in Google, uh, there's, and as well, there's lots of different Bible apps you can get on your phone as well. Um, I'm Matt, by the way, if you're new to, to Liberty. We're so glad that you've found us today. Uh, we hope everything we have to say and talk about will do good to your soul and will bless you today. So I'm going to read... Uh, six, seven verses from Ephesians chapter three, and then I'm going to pray. So we're in Ephesians three, and I'm reading from verse 14 of that book. It says this, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in, in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever Amen. Jesus, we thank you this morning for this, all these different prayers that we find in the, the Bible. These prayers written by the Apostle Paul in his own personal lockdown as we're in lockdown. And we pray today that these words would just feed us, would just strengthen us, bless us, and more than anything else would help us to achieve the end which Paul is praying for here that we would know the love of Christ in all its fullness, in all its vastness. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, just to come and make that alive in our hearts today. Amen. Amen. What we find here is the Apostle Paul uh, writing to this church in Ephesus, this young church, um, I guess not that different from our church here in Amsterdam, and what he is praying for for them is spiritual strength, a little bit like we were looking at in Colossians a few weeks ago. But the goal here, the goal of his prayer is that spiritual strength would lead to a deeper knowledge of the love of God. What he's praying for is what, in a sense, is the very heart of what Christianity is, knowing and enjoying the love of our Father in heaven. That's what it is to be a follower of Jesus, that we would know and enjoy the love of our Father. The preacher from about 50, 60 years ago, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said this, the chief defect of Christians 
is that we fail to realize Christ's love to us. That's the trap that we so often fall into as followers of Jesus. Or maybe if you're watching this and you don't know Jesus, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, a follower of him. And it's true for all of us. Our biggest problem isn't that we're in lockdown. It isn't the coronavirus. It isn't your relationships, your job, your health, whatever issues you have in your life. Our chief defect is that we fail to realize on a day-to-day basis, we fail to enjoy Christ's love for us. And what we need, what our city needs more than anything else is to know the love of God. Which that might sound a bit simplistic to you and in a sense it is simple, wonderful, simple truth for us. And maybe you're listening to this and you think, it sounds like a bit of a cliche. Just, oh yeah, God, God loves us, great. Sounds like a sort of a bumper sticker on a car. It can sound, I think many to, to our kind of modern Western ears, we hear something like that and we think, well, so what? You know, so what if God loves me? What difference does it make anyway? Who cares? And we're taught to believe in our society, we're taught to believe that to, to rely on the love of another, whether that's a partner, a husband, a wife, a friend, or a supreme divine being, but to be dependent, to be reliant on the love of someone else, we're taught that that's weakness. That the only thing we should be dependent upon is ourselves, to depend on the love of someone else. That's, that's weak. That's why people stay in abusive relationships. That's why people commit adultery. That's why people get lost in lifestyles of addiction is because they're weak. They need the love of someone or something else and they give themselves over to that. And if you want to be a modern, progressive, together Amsterdamer, what we need is to only be dependent upon ourselves. That's what we're taught to think. That's what the only thing we really need is to be dependent on ourselves. Not anyone else, not anything else, not some distant God in the sky. You need to know, learn to love yourself. And you'll notice this, you're going to hear this a lot in the coming days. Tomorrow is what people call Blue Monday. The third Monday in the year, every year, is apparently the most depressing day of the year. Blue Monday. Perhaps this year that might be true more than any other year. And if you're on social media, I guarantee you tomorrow you'll see floods of posts and messages giving you tips. Lifestyle tips you need to help you through Blue Monday. And they'll all be about self-love, self-care, finding inner peace. And I'm sure there'll be some good wisdoms there. But all the solutions will be in, internal. If you want to take control of your life, if you want empowerment, if you want to get through 2021, don't rely on other people. Don't rely on their love. You've got to find it within yourself. You've got to be the best version of you. That's all the advice that you're going to hear. You are enough for yourself. 
And that true empowerment comes from loving yourself, strengthening you. Because actually, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. Even in how the Bible gives us wisdom for relationships, it's not about empowerment. To be married to someone, in a sense, that's, that's disempowering. You, you, you give away your power. You see, what you say to them, you make a vow, a declaration, what, what's mine is yours. My body I, I give to you. I honor you with all of my being. Everything, and you give away your power to trust and love one another. And essentially, that's not, the, what the picture of marriage gives us is true of what our relationship with God is supposed to be like. Yes, God comes and puts his Holy Spirit, puts the power of God within us, but the Christian message isn't about taking up power, strengthening yourself. It's finding your power, your strength in him, in God. It's not finding some inner resource. It's trusting in Jesus and his power and leaning into his love. Because the weakness we might see in love shouldn't mean we abandon it. Rather, we should acknowledge the power of love. When we see people that get into all sorts of trouble and issue and dangerous things happen and they make a mess of their lives because they, love takes hold of them and they, they can't resist that. That's not a weak thing. In a sense, it's a powerful thing. You see the power of love at work there. And love is powerful because that's, what, that's how we're created. That's how you're made. That was God's intention when he formed humanity is that not only that we would love God, but perhaps more importantly, that we would receive his love. That's built into your very DNA. You're made as someone to receive love. All of us, we're driven by our desire, by our, by our wants, by our loves. We like to think that we're, we're rational, calculating beings who make decisions. But in the end, even our best decisions, our most rational thought processes, they're driven by what we want, our desire, our, the loves of our heart. That's what drives us, what motivates us. See, God has put in your heart the capacity both to love and to be loved. And when we don't receive that love, that's, we'll, we'll, we'll throw ourselves onto anything where we can find some love, some affection, some joy. And so many people make a mess of their lives because they spend their entire life searching for that. The comfort, the security, the safeness that comes in being loved. You'll spend your whole life searching for that unless you realize Christ's love for you. That will be your great defect, your great problem. You'll spend your entire life trying to feel that need within you. Unless you, not just once, but day by day, discover again and again and again the love of God for you. So that's what we're going to look at today. And we've got 
I can't remember how many, either 10 or 11 points that we're going to go through from this passage that talks about the love of God for us. First of all, at the beginning, Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. The reason that Paul is looking to is he's going back to chapter 2. And in chapter 2, Paul unpacked to these Ephesians that they're now in the family of God, that the dividing walls have been broken down. Or is this... God was once seen to just be the God of Israel, that he was just for the Jewish people. Paul's saying, no, 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 the gates have been blown wide open now. You can come in and know this living God. You're no longer an alien. You're no longer a stranger because of what Jesus has done for you. You can now know God. But then based on that, what he prays for is so important here. Because that truth is true for us. If you've made that commitment in your heart that you want to follow Jesus, you're now in. You're no longer an alien or a stranger to the love of God. You can know God as your father now. But Paul's prayer isn't that, because this is true, that they would be more Jewish. They would become more religious. He doesn't pray that they would be more obedient that they would read all the stories of the patriarchs in the Old Testament of David and Abraham and they'd become like them. He doesn't pray that they would learn all the laws and the practices and they would learn get better at obedience. He doesn't even pray that they would learn what it is to love God. Although those things are important. Ultimately, the most important thing is he prays that they would know God's love for them and that's what you need today and I'm laboring the point here but that is just truly what you need he, he prays for them for power and strength to know the love of God and all of us at the start of this year we're feeling the need for strength for resilience for endurance just to get through the coming months the coming year whatever it holds but to do that more than anything else, if, you, if you're searching for liberty in your life, for freedom in your life, more than anything else, you need to know the love of Christ. That's the only thing that will truly set you free. It's the only thing that will truly give you strength, and resilience, perseverance. All the, all the desires of your heart will find their yes and amen, their answer in the love of Christ. Secondly, what's important about this love is that it's not ours. It's not according to us. It says here it's according to the riches of his glory. See, this is a wonderful Trinitarian prayer. By that I mean it's a prayer that comes right from the heart of the Trinity. Paul comes before the Father. He prays they be strengthened with power through his Spirit so that Christ may dwell in their hearts. I think the point that this really underlines is that it has nothing to do with us and everything to do with God. The love that you need isn't dependent on your performance. It's not according to any riches that you might offer God. It's according to his riches of his glory that he offers to you. It's completely dependent upon who he is and what he's done. And it's a love that dwells. It says in verse 17, 
that Christ may dwell in your hearts. And you might think, you might read that and think, well, surely if I'm a believer in Jesus, when I, when I made that step of commitment, doesn't the Bible teach that the Holy Spirit comes and fills me and that Christ comes and lives within me, that now I'm one with Christ, that I'm in Christ? Yes, that's definitely 100% true. But when God breaks into your life, it's like a bit like when you, if you buy a new home and it's a, it's a kind of a doer-upper. You know, you walk in and the, the kitchen is, you know, maybe there's a sink and a, and a cooker from 1950, but not much else. And, you know, the wallpaper's falling off and the stairs, are, you don't want to run up them too quickly. You know, the place is a bit of a mess. And what, that's a bit like what our hearts are like when Christ moves in. And what he does is he'll renovate you little by little, bit by bit. And he'll get into every crevice, every door, every, every nook and cranny, every little corner of your life. That's what Paul is praying, that Christ may, may dwell, his power may impact every single part of your life. And over years, decades, God will fix you up. Little by little, he'll transform you from the inside out. It's also a love that puts down roots. Paul says here that being rooted and grounded in love, he's kind of mixing two metaphors here, one from the garden that would be rooted and one from the building site that would be grounded. He's talking about like putting down foundations for a building. See, what happens is when God breaks into your life, he, he plants you in fertile soil, and then he begins to build something beautiful in your life, a beautiful structure. When we move to a new city, a new town, a new country, we often use that phrase. We talk about putting down roots somewhere fresh. And I know probably lots of people, I know from talking to different people in the church, there are lots of people at the moment who are feeling a bit uprooted, that the distance that, Corona, not being able to travel to see family and friends, whether they live elsewhere in the Netherlands or overseas, not even able, being able to see your friends quite as intimately as you'd like at the moment. Lots of people feel a bit uprooted. Homesick might be a good way to put it. The sociologist Simone Viles said that to be rooted is the most is perhaps the most important and least recognized need of the human soul. All of us need to be rooted somewhere, to have a, a, a home somewhere. That feeling of just being at home, being content, being at peace of where you are. Perhaps you might not know that, but you probably do know the feeling of being, that, that longing, that desire for, I just wanna get home. I wanna be the, the place where people know me, where I feel safe, secure, from around friends and family. Perhaps at the moment you're feeling disconnected from that. The answer you won't find ultimately in going back to that place that you once called home. That will meet some of those needs. But ultimately, the, to be truly rooted, to be truly 
at home. We have to put our roots into Christ. That's the home that you were designed for. When people talk about um, uh, our, our one day our death and heading to eternity to be with him, people often talk about going home. And that is so true. That one day you get to be at home forever, but there's also a promise now that you can feel home in Christ. You can feel at home in his love. So if you're feeling that desire for homesickness in your heart, I'd encourage you, that's, that's the voice of the Spirit calling you deeper into him today. Don't ignore that. Throw yourself into his love afresh. And a really practical way to do that is one of the ways God provides for us to feel at home is he puts us within a church family, within a community, within friends and family, or to put it really bluntly, family here now. That's what the church is supposed to be for you. Not just a group, a club, some friends, but brothers and sisters in Christ, mums and dads, grandparents. They're all here in the church family. So if you're feeling a bit homesick, we don't want to belittle that, but reach out. We'd love to help you and be family to you. Moving on, this is also, it's a vast love. Paul prays for strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. If you just imagine for the moment, try and consider the, the vastest, the biggest thing you've ever seen. Maybe you've been and seen you know, the Grand Canyon or a great mountain or a massive superstructure, a huge building, something that just took your breath away that's what Paul's trying to get us to do here, to comprehend something which in a sense is uncomprehendable. He's trying to instruct us to measure something which is unmeasurable. He's trying to get us to get our rulers and protractors out and try and figure out the, all the different equations of something that you can't measure. And why is he doing it? Is this some kind of cruel test he's putting us through? Well, the reality is, is that we, we're always trying to measure the love of God to us. You do it all the time. I do it all the time. Because we get into those patterns of thought where we think, I'm too sinful. What, what I did, what I thought, I, I can't now come to God and pray. I need to give it some time. Uh, I, I, need to, to, I need to do something good to kind of absolve myself. I need to somehow make myself feel holy so I can come to God. And as soon as we start thinking like that, we've put a, a limit on God's love. We said God's love is only adequate when I'm behaving well, when I'm living the right way. And as soon as I step out of that, God's love doesn't, doesn't penetrate anymore. We've, we've limited it, we've boxed it, we've, we've put it in its place, and we've completely misunderstood what God's love for us is like. It's bigger than you can ever comprehend. It's vaster, it's grander, it's mightier than you can ever understand. And Paul uses four terms here to try and help us to understand it. He says, first of all, it's, this love has breadth to it. It's a broad love. The one thing I love about being in the church of 
Jesus Christ and particularly our church family here is how diverse it is. I've got friends now from all over the world. And that's what it is to be a Christian is you're invited into this diverse family of people who aren't like you, who don't think like you, who don't look like you. And it's wonderful. When Paul's looking back on Ephesians 2, all these people that are no longer strangers and aliens, but all come together. And the one thing that unites us together is the love of Christ. And one day, talks about in Revelation, one day there'll be this great horde, this great throng, this great gathering of worshippers from all over the world, from all throughout history, just greater and grander than you can ever imagine. His love is incredibly broad. And he calls us to love the diversity of our city. He calls us to love people who aren't like us. And the church itself is to represent that wonderful diversity. It's a broad love. It's a long love. Paul talks about its length. See, the love of God is everlasting. It says in Jeremiah 31, I have loved you with an everlasting love. See, Jesus' love, he chose you even before the beginning of time. Try and get your head around that for the moment. It says in Revelation 13 that our names were written in his book of life before the foundation of the world. Get your head around that for a moment. That before God sculptured out this planet that we live on, before he made Jupiter, he chose you. He chose you right back at the beginning of time. I can't get my head around how that works. <laughs> but it's a wonderful truth. He chose you. He's known you. And he's loved you from then till forever. It says in Hebrews 13 that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. That this love for you that started at the beginning of time it's, it's an unbreakable, unending line that will go on and on. And he will love you all the way through because Jesus is the same. He doesn't change and his love for you won't change. And we get to love the mission he's called us to, to love and serve our city. We're to love it with that same sense of burning patience, praying and loving and serving the city even when it's unlovable, we keep on loving. It's a long love. It's a deep love. Paul writes about its depth. In Philippians 2, it unpacks this really helpfully. It says that Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus stepped down into the depths of our humanity. He suffered the full depths of our human cruelty. He died the most horrendous, horrific death. He stepped down into the depths of the grave and he did all of that to rescue us from the depths of our sin, from our brokenness, 
from our sinfulness, for all the ways we've abandoned God, all the ways we've tried to find the love that we need in ourselves rather than in him, all the ways we've rejected God, all the depths we've plumbed of sin and horrificness, the worst things you can ever think or have done. He stepped down to, to rescue you from those things. No other love is like that. No other love can truly step into the, the, worst, the, the worst version of you you could ever possibly imagine. The worst things you've done and said and thought. Jesus has stepped down to rescue you. He stepped down right into the depths of your soul. And he's done that to, to lift us to the, the last one here. It's a high love. From the depths of our sin, God takes us to the heights of relationship with the living God. God's love isn't just about mercy. He's not just rescued us, but he's rescued us. He's rescued you for a purpose that we get to receive what the Bible talks about as the new birth that we're adopted as sons and daughters, that we're called to know God as a father, adopted into his family. And most wonderfully, this is a love that we can know. Paul writes here that we're to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, which a question you might have is, how can you know something that's unknowable? How can you have knowledge of something that surpasses knowledge? How does that work? I think what Paul is getting to here is that, in a sense, we can read all the books we want. We can read the Bible over and over again, and we should, it will do us good. But the only way you'll really know the love of Christ is when the Holy Spirit comes into your heart. And the Holy Spirit works as, as a witness within. He gets right into the depths of your soul, and he'll speak to you. One of the great Puritans who lived four or five hundred years ago, Thomas Goodwin, he talked about this picture of how, you know, if a, if a father's walking along the road with his child and he's holding, holding the child's hand as they walk along together, the father loves the child and the child loves the father. And they both know it. But if the father suddenly grabs his child pulls it close to his chest, just hugs it, then suddenly the love, of, the love of the father to the son becomes just real and tangible and you can feel it, you can touch it, you can smell it, it becomes alive. And then the child really knows <laughs> that his father loves him. And that's the beautiful wonder of what it is to have the Holy Spirit come and work in your heart. You know, sometimes we talk about here at Liberty being a charismatic church, that might freak you out. But ultimately what we mean by that is this, that we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit will come into your heart, not just once, but again and again. And the Holy Spirit will come in your heart firstly and mainly to just remind you how much your Father loves you. And when we know the love of our Father, that will transform your life. That will transform how we love our city. 
another Puritan, Richard Sibbs, he used the illustration of, of a bird song. You know, birds sing loudest in the morning and the evening because it's when they see the sun come up or when the sun goes down. It's when they see the light. And we'll sing loudest when we see the love of God, when we're living in and reminded day by day of how much he loves us. We'll sing loudest to our own hearts, but also out to the city around us of this wonderful Savior. And you might think, how is any of this possible? How could God love me? Well, it talks here about, it says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. We'll sometimes misuse that verse. We'll use it to pray for all the things that we want, all the things that we think we need. God, I need a new car. I need a new house. I need, you know, a better face or whatever we want to pray for. We'll ask this, God, you can do far more abundantly, so come and answer these prayers. There's nothing wrong with praying prayers of faith like that, but the context of the verse here is that we can know the love of Christ. So it doesn't matter how unlovable you feel today. It doesn't matter what kind of week you've had, what kind of day you've had. The Holy Spirit can come and work in your heart right now to let you know the powerful, wonderful love of God. And all that's asked of us is to respond in faith. That in faith we, we receive his love. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's not about doing lots of things, saying lots of things. What Wilson and Beth shared earlier was so important. But being a Christian isn't being about reading your Bible. That's, that's not... You can read your Bible front to back. It won't make you a Christian you're a Christian because the Father in heaven loves you and he's chosen you to be in his family. And all we have to do is, by faith, to respond and receive his love. So I'm going to pray for us and the band are going to come and lead us in some worship and we can respond in faith by singing to him. Jesus, we thank you so much that you love us. And we, we want to live lives worthy of your calling. We want to live lives where we follow your plan for us, where we study and read this book, where we pray and we worship, where we go on mission and take this wonderful message to our city, but before anything else. And as we go through everything else, we want to know your love. And we thank you, we can know your love because it's something the Holy Spirit brings to us. So I just ask right now, for everybody watching this, as we sing right now, that that love of Christ, that Holy Spirit, you would come and work within our hearts. That you make that love come alive again within us. Maybe for the first time, for some people watching, that Holy Spirit, you would make this love come alive in them. Give them the gift of faith, even just to respond and say, Father, come fill me. I pray you do that in your powerful name right now. Jesus' name, amen.